SCP-2744 Tattletale Being a field agent for the Foundation is a fairly demanding gig as far as jobs go. Not only do you typically have to be a capable detective, you also have to routinely deal with dangerous situations and combat scenarios, not even getting into the fact that you're often dealing with anomalous threats, generally with little information. The Foundation brings in as many qualified personnel as they can for these jobs, regularly plucked from militaries and police forces around the world, but even still, they can often get more than they bargained for. SCP-2744 details a scenario in which a team is sent in to investigate a rash of very strange murders and discover that not everything is as it seems. We are first greeted as someone named William Miller and informed that currently this anomaly presents no danger to us. However, we should have informed all of our close family and acquaintances of our love for them and made any or all amends, and made sure that Foundation representatives are in possession of a binding and valid will, with the named executor being a member of Foundation staff. Also, we must have accepted that further access to this terminal will result in our immediate termination, and this termination will be excruciating. After logging in to confirm all this, we proceed into the document. After proceeding, we're given a timer counting down from 28 minutes and 33 seconds, along with a warning that the cell we're in, along with all personnel in the vicinity, has been permanently isolated and contained, with mobile task force members being notified of this location. A flashing warning tells us that a threat entity is rapidly approaching. We're then provided the SCP documentation itself, with an item number listed only as Tattletale, and the class as Uncontained. Only one terminal is given complete access to edit and read the contents of this file, and it's been air-gapped from any other networks to ensure isolation. MTF Epsilon 99 is to be stationed at the sole entrance point leading to the containment cell of the terminal once it's activated and the members of the MTF are to retain significant popularity amongst site staff, as well as remain expendable at any time. The anomalous entity has been named procedurally to limit likelihood of hunting outside of this terminal chamber, and any attempts to communicate or discern the identity of Tattletale outside of this cell are to be immediately responded to with lethal force. Any personnel that wishes to investigate this phenomenon or possess any interest in the entity are to be considered permanently terminated. The entity itself is confirmed to be a bipedal humanoid standing over two meters in height, wearing a torn head covering made from white burlap material and a large aluminum zipper across its mouth, which serve to obstruct its physical features. The true name of this entity remains unknown, and is not to be investigated further, instead having a procedurally generated codename provided for it whenever the terminal is powered on. The current codename is, of course, Tattletale. 
Tattletale is extremely hostile and known to target those who attempt to investigate or discern its identity, preferring recognizable, popular, and prestigious targets. Its attack methods primarily consist of ambushing prey in isolated settings, and there are currently no known methods of obstructing or restraining the entity from its target. Also, attempts to hide or relocate the target from Tattletale have been ineffective. By possessing knowledge of its existence, you consent to likely termination by the Tattletale entity. So far it just seems like a combination of a couple of other similar SCPs, but there's more here than meets the eye. The Tattletale entity was first discovered within an anomalous nexus known as Yurtek, operated by the Global Occult Coalition. The entity had been murdering individuals in the Blood District, an infamous region of underground networks operating via interconnected tunnels and sewage systems known for its smuggling of Rubedo, a type of anomalous wine created from human blood that originally hails from Aligata. After enough murders and disappearances, the GOC requested aid from the Foundation to help investigate. The Foundation and GOC set up a joint team to look into the crimes, with one of the personnel being none other than William Miller. We're provided a log taken from body camera footage provided by Miller, who first arrived at an underground Yurtek apartment complex with large bulkhead doors at the entrance of every residence. The rest of the team had already arrived, so Miller steps past the caution tape and enters the crime scene. The residence has been upended, with rats scampering across the shelves and the sofa covered in blood. Behind the sofa lies a platform of ragged, blood-stained sheets, A body lies sprawled out on the sheets, with a number of Foundation personnel spread out through the room. Miller is scolded for being late, and then he proceeds to examine the body. Skin and muscle have been torn off of it, revealing mangled organs and broken bones, with the face displaying deep puncture wounds indicative of bite injuries. The individual's entire nose had been removed providing a view directly to the back of the victim's throat. Chunks of flesh had been adhered to the nearby wall with dried blood, but the individual's nose was nowhere to be found. Miller steps away from the body to investigate some piles of papers and documents nearby, while another team member remarks that they're dealing with both a serial killer and a cannibal, if it's even a human. Miller finds a tattered, handwritten note showing a phone number and the words, Help and Workers. He puts it into his pocket and heads into the bathroom, finding blood sprayed across the tiles on the walls, with many of them having been shattered. He takes a ceramic fragment from the floor and observes it, finding blood sticking to its surface. The blood itself appears pixelated and distorted to the body camera, and it begins to drip from the sides of the ceramic. After a moment, Miller returns the fragment to the ground and leaves the bathroom. 
Two of the team members noticed that despite all of the mess in the home caused by the attacker, the pictures and family portraits are pristine, as if they were wiped clean after the killing. They also point out that the team lead, Agent Green, has a large bruise on her face, but she dismisses it as nothing. Miller is then called over and asked what he's found so far, prompting him to hand over the note. While discussing the note, they hear a scratching noise emanating from the far wall near the bed. The Foundation agents present draw their firearms, with one of them suddenly firing a shot into the wall. A pipe erupts as steam obstructs the view of the camera, but once it's clear, it's revealed to only be a rat scurrying behind the walls. Afterwards, the body was unable to be identified, and none of the surrounding residents were able to attest to the identity of the victim or provide any information on them. The note that Miller found, however, led to a raid on an unlisted warehouse in the Blood District, where eight previously missing persons were recovered, the majority of whom were Fay in origin. The GOC put out an alert message to all residents of the Nexus, informing them that a number of the districts of the Nexus are now under preventative watch due to increased reports of missing persons and homicides. A curfew is now in effect, enforcer patrols have been increased, and crime units have been dispatched to known hotspots of crime and trade. Residents of the Undercity will be tracked via mobile devices and cybernetics to ensure compliance, and social points will be awarded to anyone possessing information relating to any missing persons. Failure to comply with the contents of this message will result in permanent detainment. The Foundation wasn't allowed to interview any of the recovered individuals, per their agreement, but afterwards the Foundation was notified of a few things. The victims were bought and sold by several unknown parties in the Nexus's black markets, although the exact specifics of when or where these transactions occurred are unknown. One of the victims overheard a conversation between unknown parties concerning a new supply of trafficked anomalies. They overheard mentions of a forest and magic folk, but are unsure of what was stated. The victims were in transit to be supplied to an unknown gang before being rescued, and one human member of the group had been transferred prior to rescue in order to retrieve supply of potential workers for a large gang and never returned, their status remaining unknown. Several of the victims attest that this subject was erratic and highly unstable. With the available testimonies, special interest was raised towards the Forest of the Fairies, SCP-4000, due to its apparent correlation with the ongoing investigation. Agent Miller and another agent, Bradcliffe, were sent into the forest to interview one of the Fae. The fairy they encounter remarks that it's surprised at how fake this all seems, and then yells at the two agents to get this over with. It then apologizes, saying that it has been struck with much grief over the loss of a friend, but they should be quick, as even the trees are watching them. The fairy asks, who it has the pleasure of speaking with today, 
and as Miller is about to introduce himself, Radcliffe closes her hand over his mouth, saying that he's new to these woods. The fairies of SCP-4000 are very particular about names, and can steal people's names if spoken, something that Miller has apparently forgotten about. He eventually apologizes and says that he cannot disclose that information. The fairy glares at him for several seconds, but eventually accepts this, and asks what questions they need answered. Radcliffe says that she can't help but notice that there are less fairies wandering around this forest than usual, and the fairy concurs, but when asked why, says that it has no idea why her boogeymen lurk in the shadows, perhaps to capture and chain them like slaves. Radcliffe apologizes again, but the fairy tells her to save her pity for when she leaves, for both their sakes. Radcliffe then asks if it's happened to get a glimpse of these boogeymen, if they were anyone it knew or if they were another fairy. The fairy can recall one of them, but it was not anyone from these woods. The boogeyman exchanged pleasantries with another fairy and went back to the fairy's home. The boogeyman was not there for long, but once it left, something had changed. What had entered as a mortal was not one when it left. When the fairy went to the home to investigate, it found the owner dead, with the taste of blood everywhere. It doesn't really remember who the victim was, even though it once knew them, as the fairy was robbed of its name. It's not sure how the boogeyman did it, but it shred and tore the body apart until there was nothing left. The interview ends with the fairy mentioning that the smell of rosemary flowers follows it wherever it goes. Upon the agent's return to Yurtek, Foundation personnel were alerted of several incidents involving members of the research team, most notably some unverified changes to employee databases. Personnel were able to discern that these changes were a byproduct of the Tattletale Entity's anomalous properties. We're given a police report that was used to correlate the changes in the database. The report details a homicide in Yurtek from 2025, with the death called in by an individual named Adam, just before the Green family was about to meet in the kitchen of the house. Adam walked into the bathroom and found the corpse of the unknown individual in the bathtub, wrapped in shredded shower curtains. He alerted other members of the house and was requested to contact the police. Officer Jeffrey Tatum was patrolling nearby and responded to the call, followed afterward by ambulances and backup officer Ryan Smith. All residents were evacuated from the premises as Tatum arrived to check the corpse, which was unable to be resuscitated or revived. He reported that the time of death was likely recent, with lacerations and avulsions detected along the facial and torso regions, indicating significant biting and clawing. Pain medication was discovered nearby the corpse, but Tatum could find no signs of intrusion in the home. 
both Adam and the Green family were submitted to local police department for questioning, with none of them able to identify the deceased victim. The damage to the corpse prevented forensics from identifying the victim, and DNA analysis also proved to be inconclusive, although it did confirm that the victim possibly overdosed on over-the-counter pain meds prior to death. In other words, people on the investigating team are dying, with their identities being erased. Based on what they heard from the fairy in SCP-4000, every victim of the entity ends up becoming an unknown victim. Radcliffe and Miller discuss the situation, with Miller wondering why the entity didn't just attack them while they were in the forest, but Radcliffe says that maybe they weren't a priority at the time. There were seven people on the research team, but now the records for four of those people have been expunged, and they found four more unidentified victims. Aside from the two of them, the third person left on the team has retreated to a safe house, while Radcliffe and Miller have been told to go back to a secure site for full-time protection. Miller is angry though, as either they'll be locked up for life to be protected, or they'll just be killed anyway, so he refuses. He's going to go find the team member that fled, to try and rescue him before he also is killed. Radcliffe orders Miller to head back to the site, but Miller pretty much says that she can try and stop him. Miller eventually arrived at the location of the safe house, a foundation warehouse facility. We're provided a brief log taken from surveillance cameras situated around the warehouse, showing a car drive into the parking lot late at night. The car parks, and a person steps out, quickly running over to the safe house and trying to open the door, before bashing it in with their shoulder. An interior camera shows the person to be the third member of the team, panting as he weaves back and forth between large sections of stacked shelves. A faint shadow skims the camera's view, as another entity seems to be following him towards the back of the facility. He eventually makes his way into a janitor's closet, blocking the door with a chair and backing up against the far wall. The door begins to bang repeatedly and bulge inwards as he screams for the entity to stay away from him. The door finally bursts open and a blur is seen before fragmentation from the door knocks out the nearby camera. At the same time, Miller arrives at the facility, circling the building before getting out of his car. Firearm in hand, he eventually approaches the door to the facility, seeing that it's already open. He enters the large warehouse, quietly calling out for the team member. Miller slowly and methodically moves through the warehouse until he hears a loud crashing noise. He follows it to the janitor's closet, finding the victim on the floor, with claw marks on his body and jagged puncture wounds visible. A bone is exposed from his left knee, and his foot has been turned lopsided. He's still alive, however, and sputters out for Miller to run. Unfortunately, it's a bit too late, as Miller hears a screeching noise behind him and quickly turns to see the tattletale entity lunging at him, with its zipper unlatched, 
exposing blood-stained teeth. The entity lands on him, biting his forearm as Miller attempts to fight it off. The bite easily snaps through Miller's bone, but he manages to get a shot off with his other hand, hitting the entity in the neck and causing it to leap backwards in pain. The entity moves to the ceiling, avoiding his follow-up shots, and Miller slips on the blood on the floor. Just as the entity is about to lunge in for the kill, however, a loud gunshot rings out, and Radcliffe appears wielding a shotgun. She shoots the entity again, knocking it back, and orders Miller to run. The two flee into the warehouse, using shelving as cover as the entity continues to screech. The sounds of snapping metal continue to grow closer to the two as they debate on an exit strategy. They quickly decide to just run for the exit, with Radcliffe providing covering fire. Unfortunately, her gun jams as the entity closes in. She then simply looks back at Miller and says that he's not supposed to let her die like this, before the entity tackles her and Miller runs from the facility. The entity is soon hot on his heels, however, but as Miller leaves the warehouse, he's greeted by a large team of MTF personnel, who swiftly open fire on the Tattletale entity. Miller is evacuated, with the last footage from his body camera showing the entity tackling an MTF member and shredding their arm. Miller is now currently at a secure site, under 24-hour surveillance and protection. Miller, now sitting at this terminal with the clock ticking down, writes a memo into the document. It reads, I know I don't have much time left, but I can't help but feel bothered by all of this. How I got in this position, or why things happened the way they did. I guess it doesn't feel right to me. Not without knowing the truth, at least. What even is the purpose of this thing? Is it really just some monster with an appetite for flesh or names? None of it makes any sense. People, objects, things, they all don't exist in a vacuum. Everything is connected somehow. And this thing can't be any different. I'm sure of that. There are just too many questions. What is it doing here? How did it become a monster? Or why does it keep hunting? It just seems so... fake. Artificial, almost. Like, it doesn't even exist at all. Look, I know the warnings are there, and that I'm probably wasting my time. After all, the clock is still ticking down, and here I am daydreaming about what some metaphysical monster could be. I can hear the guards still screaming outside. There's pounding on the walls, and sometimes even gunfire. They're supposed to be protecting me, but it sounds like they're having a hard time even protecting themselves. It's blood-curdling how loud their screams can get. It's probably already at the door. I can tell by the breathing. I might be able to get 
one good guess in before I joined the rest outside, if I really wanted. But that's fine. Maybe I might get lucky, and this is what they'll leave on my gravestone. At least I won't die without trying, right? Or maybe I just don't say anything at all. What a twist that would be, huh? At this point, we're given a choice. We can either remain silent or try and guess what exactly is going on here. We'll look at both options, but let's try guessing first. We're given a notice then that the simulation is complete and Miller is provided an assessment report. As for his performance, Miller was successful in containing the target anomaly under pressure. After following the lead of Agent Radcliffe, Miller provided optimal performance during engagement both with the target entity and forensic investigation. Miller displays adequacy in general intelligence and critical thinking skills. As for areas he could improve upon, he was unable to prevent the simulated termination of Agent Radcliffe, Agent Green, or Dr. House from the target anomaly, and did not follow appropriate procedures when engaging with the nameless entity. He's then provided an automated email, in which he is congratulated. He has shown great integrity throughout this intensive exercise, more so than many of those who stood before him. While other candidates laid around and waited for their eventual demise, he instead sought the very opposite, despite the warnings. Not only that, but he strove headfirst in ascertaining the truth, even if it meant resorting to guesses to find it. Whatever assumptions he might have had are irrelevant now, but the very act itself is what matters. That on its own is exactly what it means to work for the Foundation, so his diligence is commended, even if his reasons for doing so were only to satisfy his own curiosity. They need agents like him in the field, people who are selfless and would risk their lives just to continue the Foundation's progress towards knowledge and information. He can consider this message his official introduction to the Foundation Agency, and they expect many more great things from him. This exercise was merely a test, a way to check the skills he learned from the Academy, but they are still very far from being finished with him. The email is signed by Agent Radcliffe, head of Simulacrum. So, it seems that this whole SCP has just been a virtual reality test for potential Foundation agents. There is no tattletale entity, with it instead being something that they created to see how fresh recruits might handle both an anomalous investigation as well as an active threat. Miller ultimately passed both for his investigative abilities, his ability to act under extreme stress, and his curiosity to know more about the anomalous rather than accepting his fate. That's one possibility, but let's say that he had picked to remain silent. This ending is also the same one if you had let the timer run out. 
Here, we're provided an error message that states that the system is unable to conceptualize haptic feedback protocol for intended target sprite, and we should contact Foundation Software Support. As a more detailed bug report, it lists the error as incorrect parameters for metaphysical haptic response slash no entity in database, with the severity listed as major. The simulation was unable to detect available foundation probing neural link, with elevated heart rate and neural activity exceeding allowable limit for host after engagement of simulated reality to reproduce threat response. The program crashed, and the threat entity is no longer present in the simulated program. The expected results for this scenario should have just been that the host player is provided a written failure report. What actually ended up happening here is that the host player was terminated via neural haptic overload. In other words, normally failure of the simulation just gives the recruit a write-up of why they failed, but it seems that the Foundation Neuralink software isn't perfect. Instead, Miller in this case was actually killed as the link overloaded his brain in a very Black Mirror-esque scenario. The notes from support staff show a conversation revealing that this is hardly the first instance of said failure, with them having four or five of these kinds of failures in a row. One of the team worries that they're going to run out of new ones to train, but the other says that their farm is efficient and 50 new bodies will be here by the end of next week. They say to get busy fixing the problem though, as the Foundation needs this working immediately, since agents never come out perfect without it. One of the support team asks if the Foundation is about to get busy, and the other responds with, if only you knew. So yeah, the Foundation seems to be growing new agents and running them through virtual training programs in order to quickly prepare them for some sort of troublesome situation. While it's easy to imagine a scenario where the Foundation would want to quickly train a horde of soldiers, having one where they want a horde of agents that are prized for their curiosity and investigative abilities is a little bit more interesting. SCP-2744 follows on the path of some other SCPs wherein the anomaly presented is mostly just smoke and mirrors, while the article itself is about something a bit more, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Regardless of how many fresh recruits they might be able to produce though, having your neural link software have a relatively high chance of frying their brains accidentally seems a bit shoddy by Foundation standards. <laughs>